0: Welcome to ArbCast, Water Island Capital's podcast series, where we strive to provide investors with concise and timely insights into the world of event-driven investing. I'm your host, Jennifer Bloodsworth, and joining us today is Roger Fultimowicz, Ted Chen, and Greg Laprie. All three are portfolio managers on the Water Island Event-Driven Fund, ticker AEDNX. Gentlemen, Welcome. So, for those of you who are listening that may not be familiar with event-driven investing, Ted, could you please give us a quick overview?
1: Sure, Jennifer. Thanks for having me on the uh, call today. Event-driven investing, simply put, is investing in companies that are going through some corporate catalyst. And when you have a company that goes through a corporate catalyst, the price appreciation is generally tied to that event and not tied to more broader macro factors or you know, more fundamental uh, issues with the company. And so when you build a portfolio of these companies that are going through these corporate catalysts, you generally create uncorrelated returns. And so examples of that could be a company going through a merger. And so if the company is successful in closing that merger, uh, there's a certain return profile that you get with that. But if they're not successful, uh, then there could be some downside of price uh, performance on the stock. Um, it could be a spin off situation, it could be a speculative M&A. It could be a bankruptcy situation. But in all of these examples, uh, what's going on in the broader market is less of a concern. Uh, it's whether or not the catalyst occurs or not. And so our job as venture driven investors is to identify these corporate catalysts and to understand what is the opportunity and whether the market is providing us with a good risk return opportunity uh, to invest in these
0: situations. Great. Thank you so much for that. Um, so, Roger, I'll ask you, uh, how do we more specifically implement that strategy into the Water Island Event Driven Fund?
2: Yeah. Hi, Jennifer. Thanks for having me on this podcast. Uh, the way we kind of implement it, it's team-based. I mean, as you can tell from, from Teddy's uh, earlier comments that, you know, we we implement three strategies, uh, merger arbitrage, equity specialists, and credit and and usually we let kind of the markets guide us where the opportunities are going to take place within those three strategies. And so, just as a, as a good example, February and March, uh, we witnessed a significant dislocation in volatility and volatility. And usually in those time periods, uh, the of our portfolio is is probably the best place to to invest in those moments because of the hard catalyst. Uh, aspect of it, and then also uh, once the liquidity event uh, has subsided, the merger uh spectrum is the is the fastest to bounce back and so you know as as we go through the the webs and flows of of the market in general, we have a constant conversation between the teams of where the opportunities are and so when you come out of a volatile period of February and March. You know, we'll have a discussion within the team to, to kind of see where, where is the trend going to go? And that's where Ted might suggest, hey, I think, you know, everything that was uh, kind of put on hold in regards to potential transactions that were, you know, kind of spoken about months ago. Maybe that's something we take a look at with the valuations at at very discounted levels at that time frame. So it's a a constant flow of communication between the team within those three pillars of strategies uh, to basically find the best place to uh, find investment opportunities.
0: Great. Thank you. Greg, since event in investing seeks idiosyncratic returns on corporate events, how should investors expect this style of investing to perform across various market conditions?
3: Yeah, hi, Jen. Uh, thanks for having me as well today. That's um, you know, a good question, and we, we get this question um, very frequently from investors that are really expectations of returns. Um, I think overall, uh, keep in mind, and Teddy had mentioned this earlier, is that our goal is really to produce a lower volatility return that's going to be more tied to the timelines and outcomes of specific uh, catalysts and events rather than on market direction. So even though that's our broader goal, um, to keep volatility low, keep returns steady, um, obviously we have a lot of different market environments that can at times be challenging. Um, So right now I think that there's probably three different markets um, that we we have experienced or we're likely to experience. Um, The first one's pretty simple. I mean, it's really – it's really a steady market and, and probably characterized by what we had over the prior prior two years, uh, at least prior to COVID. And, and there it's more the steady market, volatility is relatively low. And, and here we're really capitalizing on all of our individual investments. Um, we're waiting for deals to close. We're waiting for special situations to pan out. Um, and there we're just letting our, our investments do their work. So that's pretty straightforward. Um The other market that we've been, I guess, challenged by, or we've had a lot of questions about, probably over the last 10 years since the financial crisis, is the fear of uh, rising rates. And so here, the fund I think does a pretty good job of challenging or or addressing that problem, because the fund, because of its merger arb exposure in particular, uh, has a lot of short duration investments. And so as rates are rising, and our deals are closing, we're receiving cash for those deals, or we're collapsing the deals, the stock deals, and once we get paid, we can then deploy at whatever the spread environment is that time. So those two those 2 markets, steady markets, rising rate markets, I think the fund does a pretty good job um, of of letting the investments, as I say, do their work. Um, of course, then the, the, the one that everybody thinks about and the one that we all uh, don't like going through are, are volatile markets. So if you go back to you know, certainly um, the first quarter of, of this year and some other periods over the last 10 years when there's been extreme volatility, um, during during these markets, you know the fund has, particularly this year, held up pretty well. And yes, spreads will widen out, and some of our investments will trade down with the market. Um, but because we have these spread trades that bounce back quickly, and because we have special situations that are hedged for the most part, um, we have less volatility. Uh, and the hedging that we do puts us in a position really to capitalize on on the market opportunities that Roger had talked about, really across our, our skill sets. And, and I think even though the market was so volatile in the first quarter, um, you know, the fund was down uh, 2.8%, I believe. And if you compare that to the S&P being down 20, and I think the Russell was down about 30% during that period, you know, it held up really well. Um, But I think what's important is to keep in mind that the hedging that we do and the types of situations when we always want to be in a strong position to kind of bounce back from a down market, and so we did redeploy during during March and April, and during the second quarter, you know the fund bounced back to um over six percent so I think that's really um how we look at uh, how we look at the uh, how the fund should should perform in different markets and and hopefully we can follow through in the future with that type of um performance.
0: Thank you, Greg. Um, my next question, I'll direct to each of you. Maybe each of you can touch on this within your area ex- of expertise. But looking at the current landscape and beyond, what are you seeing as opportunities for event-driven investing? And what are some of the themes impacting your investment decisions? Rog- Roger, why don't we start with you?
2: Sure. Uh, kind of the, the major major kind of thing that we're excited about on the, on the merger of our landscape is, is kind of we're entering this phase of opportunistic transactions, and you know when I when I mean to be opportunistic, it, it could be as easy as a company that was trading, uh, you know, $50 uh, before COVID hit is being bought is being bought out at you know 10, 15 dollars a share, right? So that just that price discrepancy alone is, is opportunistic, and so you know just to, uh, to have a better example, Noble uh, Energy is being bought out by Chevron. Uh, Noble used to be a stock that used to trade near $25, $26 before, uh, COVID hit. And, uh, they're being bought out by Chevron, you know, in, in a, in a, in a range of $8 to $10 a share. So in our minds, that's, that's highly opportunistic, right? It's taking advantage of a company while it, it's been beaten up by the, by the COVID environment. And so what gets us excited is that, especially what we witnessed in 2000, the transition from 2008 to 2009 is that, um, some of these transactions could be contested, right? So that's uh, competitive bidding uh, occurs in these types of situations because, you know, another peer can evaluate of the situation and just say, hey, you know what? I think Noble Energy is, uh you know, worth thirteen or fourteen dollars a share, right? So I'm going to compete for this asset. So that competition uh drives alpha for us. And you know, after experiencing you know, the transition from '08 to 09, that 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 explained a, a pretty significant portion of our alpha uh during that time period, where 2009 was one of our was was one of our best years. So <clears throat> that's what I'm really excited about as we you know, we're seeing green shoots. I mean, yes, it might be stalled a little bit a month or so, you know, as we enter the fall. And, uh, you know, we're kind of all kind of watching the data in regards to the COVID and its potential resurgence in the fall. So I'm sure every other company is doing that as well. So that's, you know, that's what we're excited about. We're seeing green shoots of that. I guess uh, a theme that we're that's impacting my investment decisions currently is, is the is the election that takes place uh in November because there's uh, certain transactions out there that could be you know easily impacted by a, you know changing of the guard and so you know that that's something we're we're keeping in mind you know we we're, we're always keeping track of the policies that each president uh you know is is supporting or not supporting or or trade agreements with uh, with China or France you know so these are things that not i wouldn't say keep me up at night but it, it you know it does um kind of yeah, halt my uh, conviction on, on certain names. So in my standpoint, that's what we're keeping an eye on as a team and how it impacts uh, the rest of our
1: M&A landscape.
0: Thank you, Roger. Um, Ted, what are you seeing in your world?
1: Yeah, so from an equity special situations perspective, I think where we've been focusing a lot of time is on, on SPACs. And I know that's been in the news a lot. SPACs are blank check companies. And they're formed uh, to really take a private company public. Uh, the sponsors that form these uh, SPACs have generally two years to find a target to bring public. And the really interesting thing about a SPAC product is that when you get invested in a SPAC, you, as a shareholder, have the option to redeem for all of your invested cash if you don't like the company that they're taking uh, public. And so uh, as an investor in a SPAC, you will generally make a – call it a 2% spread above treasuries uh obviously risk free rates uh effectively zero now so you're making a 2% annualized return but you're effectively getting paid uh for the option to look at what this company could be and what's interesting is in the last 12 year uh, 12 months the quality uh, the number and the quality of companies that are coming out of a SPAC process has been significantly higher and 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 better and a large part of that, due to the broader environment. Um, I think when you have a volatile market environment, the traditional IPO route has become less certain, especially given the the timing and the duration to go through a traditional IPO route. Uh, and you know the, the traditional sources for capital, uh, whether that's venture capital or whether that's the high yield market uh, or or other markets, may be shut off for certain firms. And so the SPAC product has become very interesting as it addresses all of those, uh, all of those concerns for companies that may not fit the, the traditional routes uh, of, of capital raising. Uh, and so we find it interesting because it's a great way to deploy capital in a low risk fashion, uh, because we have that redemption right to, to our, our total capital invested. But we also have this call option where we can evaluate each one of those companies that come, uh, public. As to whether we think there's something interesting in it, uh, or whether we want to effectively just take our, our cash uh, back. Um, but we see this as very interesting. Obviously, there's a there's a ton of IPOs that have happened recently. Uh, many of the sponsor teams that have come public, uh, launching their own stacks are much more higher quality than we have historically seen. Uh, so we're excited about this crop. Uh, and again, it's 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 relatively low risk in what we see as. as as an environment that could be more volatile uh, in the next six to 12 months.
0: Great. Thank you, Ted. Um, And Greg, I'll turn it over uh, to you for what you're seeing.
1: Sure. I
3: mean, a lot of what we're seeing in in the credit markets is uh, in response to refinancings um, that have been going on really since April. And then the other part that we've been um, able to invest in has been announced mergers and acquisitions deals where we end up um, purchasing typically the debt of target companies, and then as it relates to some of Ted's um, discussion of SPACs, um, there are some situations now where the private company that's going to be acquired by the SPAC actually has debt outstanding, and a lot of times when that SPAC deal goes through, um, there are plans to, to refinance that debt or to at least delever the the, the balance sheet uh, at that company, and so we, we've seen a few different opportunities there. Um, to invest in the fund. Um, So that's really what's been driving us for the last, I'd say, six months or so. Um, As it relates to to the election coming up, um, and and I think Roger hit it best when he he said that if a new administration comes in or or if the same administration stays in, um, there's certainly gonna be challenges around different sectors and weakness in sectors or changing government policy or changing um, relations between the U.S. and and all different uh, kinds of countries and, and over trade and so forth. Um, I I think one of the things that I've been thinking about and I think as a team we've been thinking about is not just that it's an election year, but something that I've come across um, recently is not only, I I guess historically we we, we go into an election and we say, okay, well, a Democrat's going to win or the House is going to go Democrat or Republican or the other party's going to win and that sort. So there's all types of scenarios there. So it it tends to be somewhat binary. Um, This year what I'm hearing more of is that there's, there's an increased likelihood that we're going to have an additional scenario, and that is uh, effectively that there's going to be a contested election. Um, that you're gonna come out of, of this election and no matter who wins, it's going to be put into the courts. And that's gonna be because there's been, as of now, there's going to be a lot of mail-in ballots and so forth, so people may, may wait um, for all those ballots to be counted through the mail. Um, but it seems from a lot of things that I've been reading that there's gonna be some volatility around that. And the only real benchmark we have, I understand that in 2000, I guess when we had um, with Bush and Gore with the uh, the election there, um, apparently the, the market was down during that time uh, time frame by seven percent. I guess from the day of the election till when when Gore finally conceded, I guess a week or two later, um, following lawsuits. So that's something that that we are keeping our eyes on, and I think we have to be prepared not just that, you know, one candidate wins or another candidate wins, but there's probably going to be an additional some additional market volatility. So I, I think, you know, the fund is probably pretty well um, set up for that, um, given that we can be opportunistic. Um, we can keep our eyes uh, on the names that might concern us, um, put in hedges and so forth, um, but it is something that we're going to watch closely.
0: Great. Uh, thank, thank you to all three of you for those comments. So, Ted, I'll go back to you. Why do you believe the fund offers investors a compelling opportunity in today's environment, and how are you seeing clients use it in their portfolios?
1: So, I think I'll just go back to to what Greg just mentioned, which is the environment that we're in today and sort of the the forward-looking three to six months and the expectation around what we could see in the market and the volatility in the market. And yeah when we created the uh the the water Island event driven fund the the whole concept was we wanted to have a vehicle that could demonstrate the other skill sets and, and and investing experience that we have within the firm beyond just merger arbitrage and It wasn't just about the experience that we could show, but it was about developing a vehicle that could go through the entire market cycle and have opportunities for us to allocate capital to. And so if you look at what Roger had mentioned in March and the ability to take that volatile, um, time period around COVID and what we did within our portfolios where we, uh, immediately shifted a lot of uh, capital to merger our deals that were, uh, that had very significantly wide spreads. Then as we went through April and May and June, as the market began to recover, be able to shift some of, uh, investments to other opportunities specifically. You know, we did a lot of uh, reallocating of assets to special situations, not, uh, you know, a lot of spinoffs that were coming to market uh, and a lot of SPACs that were being uh, uh, announcing deals. You know, that was really the opportunity for us to demonstrate this ability to take um, all the different uh, investment uh, strategies that we employ here at the firm and, and cater it to the environment that we're seeing. When we see a highly volatile environment ahead of us, we're going to much harder catalysts that are going to – that is going to have much lower volatility. And as we see that market significantly begin to stabilize and, and, and begin to rebound, we can start uh, pushing our investments out to softer catalysts, and opportunities that have more of a re-rating. Uh, and it's really that flexibility. And so, again, going back to what Greg mentioned in terms of the outlook for the next three to, to, to six months and where we think about volatility and where the, the equity markets are today – you know, we see this as an opportunity to have a vehicle that can manage the risks when we have a significant market pullback, but then be able to deploy that capital to interesting opportunities that that will take advantage when the market stabilizes and rebounds.
0: Great. Well, gentlemen, thank you so much for your time and thoughts today. Again, I have been speaking with Roger Fultonowicz, Ted Chen and Greg LaPree. All three are portfolio managers on the Water Island Event-Driven Fund, which is ticker AEDNX. For those listening who may not be familiar with Water Island Capital, we are an asset management firm with a proven 20-year track record in event-driven strategies across public mutual funds, private investment vehicles, and our recently launched ETF, allowing clients to choose the best format for their exposure. For timely insights on the markets, please subscribe to our Notes from the Desk newsletter at arbitragefunds.com. And for more information on our funds, please call our resource desk at 800-560-8210.